Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. Now, some people deny that this is actually part of God's word. They say somebody slipped that in. There's all kinds of theories out there because you see this command here. And I got to admit that God's command is unorthodox. It is unorthodox here. Go take for yourself a prostitute, right? Whenever we're growing up and maybe we grow up in church, the last thing we would think of is taking a wife as a prostitute. We've got dreams and we've got aspirations and we, we've got these plans in our heart and everything else. But how many of you said, that I would go and I would marry a prostitute. That isn't part of the game, but yet God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom, and it's caused many students of the Bible a problem. How could God even ask a man of God like Hosea to take a prostitute for a wife? God would never do that. It has to be going against his word. But when you dig deeper in the scriptures, there's a word concerning marrying a prostitute when it comes to priests, but not prophets. For instance, in Leviticus chapter 21, verse 7, it says, They shall, speaking of priests, not marry a prostitute or a woman who has been defiled, neither shall they marry a woman divorced from her husband, for the priest is holy to his God. Leviticus 21, 9, And the daughter of any priest, if she profanes herself by whoring, profanes her father's she shall be burned with fire. Leviticus 21, 13, and he shall take a wife in her virginity. There's the priest, a widow or a divorced woman or a woman who has been defiled or a prostitute. These he shall not marry, but he shall take as his wife a virgin of his own people. And there's specific commands for priests, but there's nothing concerning a prophet. And God tells Hosea to go marry a prostitute. That is an unorthodox command. But what's mind-blowing is Hosea's extraordinary obedience to God. In verse 3, it says, So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. He goes and does it. Now, it's easy to take some of the commands of God and to fulfill those, but what about when they go against your common sense? Now, this is forbidden in the New Testament, by the way. The New Testament says you cannot be unequally yoked. So some of you guys out there that may be thinking you can go find somebody and, uh, you know, marry them for the moment. And devote. No, no, you're not to marry somebody who's an unbeliever. And yet, he's told to go marry a prostitute. I mean, it would make sense to me if Hosea don't marry that woman, she's immoral. Or to us, you know, don't marry that person or break up with that girlfriend of yours or break up with that boyfriend of yours because he's on drugs or he's an immoral person. That would make sense to me. But here he is commanded to go marry a prostitute. And so he's told to go do this and and yet his obedience is extraordinary to me. And that confirms that he is a man of God. 
that as he goes and he takes Hosea to marry this prostitute. Now, this led to different views about who Gomer is. I'll give you just four of the most conservative views from conservative scholars. Here's one. Hosea's marriage to Gomer is only an allegory. Not to be taken literal, but that doesn't make sense because it actually gives the father's name. This is a real person involved in something real. Second view would be Gomer became a prostitute after her marriage to Hosea. The third view would be Gomer was a cult prostitute and was forced into it, not by her choice. And the fourth view is the one I go with. Gomer was a prostitute when Hosea married her and continued her sexual immorality after her marriage to Hosea. And that's the one that fits the text. Go take for yourself a wife of whoredom. And we, if it makes sense to us or not, we have no right to change God's word or to try and make something fit in our own reasoning. God's ways are higher than our ways, and I'd be the first to say that some of the things I don't understand in Scripture, but God tells Hosea to go marry Gomer, who was a prostitute. The question is now, why would God ask that of Hosea to marry a prostitute, and the text tells us, it says, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Tells you right there that what this is going to become is an illustration to all of Israel. That Hosea, as he marries Gomer, is going to be an illustration of God's love and his people's unfaithfulness and sinfulness, and that theme runs all the way through the book of Hosea. You're going to see judgment coming on his people, but you're also going to see God's unconditional love at the same time. So this marriage is going to be an object lesson for them. It's going to show them how unfaithful they are and how faithful God is in this. In Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 30, it says, therefore say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, will you defile yourselves after the manner of your fathers and go whoring after their detestable things? And that's strong language. Strong language. What God is saying is that sinfulness and idolatry, when somebody goes down the road of sinfulness, when his people get caught up in idolatry, it is like prostitution in his eyes. Prostitution is selling yourself for something in return. And God has purchased us with the blood of Jesus Christ and we become a prostitute to nobody. And yet, in God's word, we're seeing how his people constantly prostituted themselves, that as they begin to get entrenched in idolatry, God uses strong language. He calls it prostituting, whoring. In Ezekiel, we see it a couple times. There's a major passage in Ezekiel chapter 27, I think it is, that speaks of how deep God's people got into idolatry. But that's what God sees it as. And the fundamental problem with his people is they didn't know him. They didn't know him. In fact, in Hosea, we see the word yada translated to know 15 times, but in the Hebrew, it means knowing somebody with a relationship. You could know something intellectually, but God is referring relationally. 
You could know everything you can about your spouse. You can know what they do for a living. You can know their childhood. You can know their background, what college they graduate. You could know a lot of stuff intellectually about a person, but it doesn't make your heart go to them. And they knew a lot about God. They were God's chosen people. God wanted to bless them. God wanted to shower them with his love. And they continued to turn their back on them. And so in Hosea 5, 4, it says, their deeds do not permit them to return to their God for the spirit of whoredom is within them and they know not the Lord. That's that word again, know not the Lord. They knew what worship was supposed to be. They knew the sacrificial laws. The priests had taught them that. They were raised in families that knew that. They knew the drill. When it came to worshiping the Lord, they knew what he required in their prayers. It was nothing that they didn't know intellectually, but they didn't know God relationally and experientially. And that's what the Lord is trying to get out of his people right now. He's trying to get them to understand that what you're doing is prostitution. They went after Baal, thinking that life would actually come from Baal that they would sell their sons and their daughters and everything else down into that prostitution, spiritual prostitution. Think about even how perverted our culture has become. That everything in this culture revolves around sex. We're serving Baal again. The pornography in the church is unbelievable. Men begin to watch pornography and they're bowing to the altar of Baal and they can't break away from that. There's gonna be a point where they're not gonna return. And they need to understand the seriousness of that. And they're doing no different than what God says of his people Israel. The very people that he wanted to love and wanted them to experience the relationship with. They said, no, we want Baal. Baal provides more, and you know what it is? He provides more for the flesh. He provides more for the passions of the flesh because now you can serve a God on your terms, not his terms. It doesn't stop there. Hosea's children speak of God's people judged because God has to judge that his people. Look at verse so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. Now I want you to take note of that. It says, bore him a son. On his other two children, it doesn't say that. It just says she bore the children. She bore a daughter. She bore another son, but it doesn't say she bore it to him because everyone believes that she got pregnant in her life of immorality that Hosea was not really the father of those children. So she bears him a son, and the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel, for in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. And on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And now the child was to be named Jezreel, and there's really two reasons behind that. Jezreel means scattered. And God's getting ready to scatter Israel. He's getting ready to bring the Assyrians in, and he's getting ready to scatter the people. 
And even though Hosea prophesied for a long time, he started in 760 B.C. and he went to about 720 B.C. The Assyrians come in at 722 B.C. So we actually witnessed the judgment of God calling, but he prophesied for at least 40 years to the people. And he continued to prophesy to them. So number one, Jezreel means scattered. God's getting ready to scatter them from the land. They're no longer going to dwell in the security that they once had. They're no longer going to dwell in the prosperity that they once had. They're going to find out real quick that it was God that gave them all that. Number two, though, because of a situation that happened in a place called Jezreel. Jezreel was the name of a well-known town and a valley in the northern kingdom. Jezreel. When Jehu was anointed king over Israel, he was commanded to massacre the house of Ahab and Jezebel. Now, King Ahab and Jezebel in the Old Testament, the kings before this, they brought Baal into the land and polluted the land with Baal because Jezebel's father was actually a priest in that religion. She was a stronger one out of the relationship. She was the one that convinced King Ahab that Baal is the right religion. We need to bring him in. And it became what we call syncretism. Syncretism is kind of like going to Haiti. When you go to Haiti and you're ministering to the people down there and you're in church with certain people on Sunday, you find out that they still are involved in voodoo. And they think it's okay because they're involved in both religions. So when you're talking to somebody who's involved in voodoo, you got to say, no, that doesn't line up with God. You choose one or the other. Many of them refuse to do that. So they go to church on Sunday and they hear about the word of God. But then when they get sick, they go to a voodoo doctor, a witch doctor, and they go for healing and things like that. And so Ahab and Jezebel brought Baal into the land big time. That's when you see the showdown of Elijah the prophet with the false prophets of Baal, that that culminates at that point. But God anoints a king named Jehu, and he wants him to take out the dynasty of Ahab and Jezebel. And so when he does that, he becomes bloodthirsty and Jehu goes overboard and he massacres way more people in that place. And so God gets upset with him about that. He said, look, it's kind of like with Sal, I commanded you to do this, you didn't listen to me. Jehu kind of liked it, you know, kind of like UFC fighting, you start to watch it and you love the blood, you become more bloodthirsty and bloodthirsty. That was Jehu, once he got into massacring, following through with God's command, he went overboard and he massacred the household of Ahaziah and he was going to pay dearly for it. God said that ain't gonna happen. And so Jezreel, that child is a reminder that judgment is coming because of that situation, because of what the house of Jehu did. And so, wow, can you imagine having to name your child bloodshed? Hey, bloodshed, come here. It's time to come off the playground. You know, and it's worse. So look at lo ruhama is the Hebrew word on the next one, meaning the child of no mercy. Look at verse 6. She conceived again and bore a daughter, and the Lord said to him, call her name No Mercy. In some of your translations, it says Lo Ruhama, but the English translation from the Hebrew is No Mercy. Lo means no. Lo means no in Hebrew. Ruhama means mercy. So this is a child of no mercy. And every time they saw this child, they were reminded that God was going to withdraw his mercy from the people. How many know that mercy is God not giving us what we deserve? 
And so my son and his wife had a baby at 1.30 a.m. yesterday. We have our second grandchild, and, and I couldn't imagine them calling and saying, you know, hey, Dad, we named him Loruhama. <laughs> they named him Elliot because it's the English form of Elijah, meaning Yahweh is my God. But who would name their kid this? And God is, is using the families, commanding Hosea, and Hosea is following through with these commands. And he commands him to name him no mercy because God withheld his mercy from his people and judgment fell. He sends the Assyrians in in 722 BC. And it is interesting because the Lord says, He's going to have mercy on the house of Judah. Look at verse seven. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow or by the sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. God says he's gonna have mercy on Judah. That was only for a moment. When the Assyrians came in and ransacked Israel in 722 BC, later on they came back and they surrounded Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king at the time and there were 185,000 powerful Assyrian soldiers that were going to ransack Jerusalem and God sent an angel and wiped them all out. And it's interesting because this prophecy came true. God says it ain't going to be by horse. It ain't going to be by bow. There isn't going to be no warfare. Hezekiah and them, they didn't have to lift a finger in order to win this battle. So we see this prophecy of God withholding his mercy from Israel. This is going to happen. We're only here today, you guys, because of God's grace and mercy. We can't take that for granted. We can't take that for granted. He has another child, and this child is going to be Lo-Ami. Look at verse 8. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son, and the Lord said, Call his name not my people, for you are not my people. I am not your God. That is wild to me. Oftentimes we see the love of God, right? But we have trouble with words like this. That God would actually withhold his mercy and that he would actually say, you're not my people anymore because this goes the opposite of what he told Moses. He promised Moses in Exodus 6, 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. But their sin has fractured their relationship with him. Their sin has, as Isaiah says, your sin separates you from God. And that's what's going on right now. And those are strong words from the Lord, even though it isn't permanent. That God withholds his mercy and he says, you're not my children. It's kind of like when you get mad at your kids and, you know, you come home from work and everything else. And your wife says, do you know what your child did? Wait a minute, he's your child too. No, he's not. <laughs> not today, he's not. And we tend to, because, you know, we get frustrated, everything. They do something. And God says, You're not my people. That is startling to have Hosea's kids grow up like that and to have them be a very indictment to the culture that they live in. There goes no mercy. I went to school with not my people. And everything is an indictment against the people of Israel 
because of their prostitution with false gods. And you know what God's heart is? God's heart is always that his people would return. I think God's heart is no different than ours as parents when we discipline our kids. It hurts us more than them. And I know if you're a kid here and you're saying you haven't felt my dad's spoon yet on the backside, you don't understand the heart and the pain. And I think that was one of the reasons why Hosea was actually told to marry a prostitute and to have these children so that he can understand a little bit about how it pains the heart when God's people are unfaithful, that he would understand what God was going through to a certain degree. I've sat at bedsides all my life with people who've lost loved ones. I really didn't understand the full impact of that till I lost my own dad. And yet, when God has Hosea to marry a prostitute, I can't help but think God's saying, I want you to see how pained my heart is when my people become unfaithful. And we don't often see that results of sin, they're pictured in the symbolic names of the children. We see that because the death and bloodshed symbolized by Jezreel highlights that sin can only result in death and devastation. We know that when God's commands are disemboweled, when we don't obey his commands anymore, innocent people are taken down, that there's innocent bloodshed that is taken out. We don't see that devastation. This is not what God promised Moses, but it's necessary for the moment. God's mercy being pulled back is highlighted in that name of Ruhama of no mercy. When God's people fulfill, willfully continue to sin and fail to see the need to repent, then God pulls back his mercy and you and I take that for granted. And we think none of that is in the New Testament. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe that when you're born again, you're born again. And as a child of God, we don't go under the wrath of God, but we go under the disciplinary hand of God. But the churches are filled with people that continue to hear God's word and they continue to willfully sin. They continue to go down the wrong path. And I think you need to hear what Hebrews chapter 10 says, verses 26 to 31. Listen to these words. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. That's New Testament. My fear is that we would trample on the grace and the mercy of God. That we would hear the word of God Sunday after Sunday, and some people in this auditorium wouldn't be right with God, and they would die in judgment. And they would face the judgment of God. The fact that God's favor was removed from his people is seen in Loami, not my people. Do you realize what that means? 
That to become a child of God means that we have the favor of God in our lives. That we have the blessing of God in our lives. When my children are part of my household, they have the blessings of Grisel and I. They have access to everything we have because they're our children. And as children of God, we have access to the blessings of God. And we have the access to everything that he provides for us. God blesses his children, but he can remove those blessings. He can remove that favor that we have in God. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivy.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivy.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.